You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. This guy, Dale Graham, was a, a warm, affable sort of guy with a lovely smile and a heart as big as Texas. In fact, ironically, it was Texas where I met this guy uh, back many, many years ago. And we kind of connected because his name was Dale Graham. My first two names are Graham Dale. And that was a kind of a, I can see you love it as well. Um, it was a kind of a thing that just sort of connected us in that way. And, uh, well, Dale was the sort of guy I related to very, very quickly. He was a, a minister within our churches in America. We met in Houston, Texas all those years ago. Years ago, And he was a minister in what we, and we've touched on this relative of ours before, the non-instrumental Church of Christ. Uh, this is part of the Reformation or Restoration Movement, I should say, where they just take this whole restoration thing to a, an extreme sort of viewpoint where they don't have any instruments in the worship. Uh, I've been to their churches. Some of you have as well. Uh, they sing beautifully. They have a tuning fork that they kind of get all the, all get the note right and they sing a cappella and it's, it's beautiful. But, but they, they're, they're very, very narrow. Uh, and I'm being kind here. Very, very conservative to the point where in some churches, their level of exclusivity causes them to believe that they are the only ones who are saved because of their emphasis on baptism and baptismal regeneration and if you're familiar with those terms. And so they're a very, very conservative group. This man, Dale Graham, he had made a decision, a conscious decision to move away from that extreme viewpoint. And he had made a, a, a decision which cost him dearly. And as I got to know him and you look into his eyes and you can see the sadness, but he didn't flinch on the decision he'd made. What he'd decided to do and he had a quite a large, beautiful church, nice church building there in Houston. And he told me that at one point at the height of, their minis- of his ministry, he used to run about 650 odd people a week. He made the daring, controversial, <laughs> radical decision to open up their five day a week daycare centre to the community. Anybody could come. You didn't have to be a Christian. You didn't have to be a member of the Church of Christ. Anybody could come and experience the blessing of this well-run Christian-based daycare centre. That decision caused a loss of members running into the hundreds within a matter of weeks. And here I was talking to him 12 months after he'd made that decision. And he said, we're down about 250, Graham, on a Sunday morning, but we're slowly rebuilding. And I don't regret the decision, but it's been a very painful one. There was a man who'd experienced conflict and disunity in church in a way that I rarely have come across before. Friends, I've got to say, one of the heart-rending aspects of my 40-year ministry has been to sit with colleagues at various times and to hear their stories about disunity and disharmony and conflict. It's really broken my heart. I've heard some tragic stories. I've been to America 16 times, as you know, and and. Many, many times I've, I've listened to ministers of even large churches as, as they've told their, their experience in this area. When I was a member of the senior ministers group here in Australia and up until last year, or sorry, uh, last year, yeah, uh, Sam's going this year. Uh, it's going to be held in Geelong in August. Uh, my last one was last year. Um, 
I've been in that group for 30 years and there were times in the history of that group when around the table I was one of the very, very few of the ministers who hadn't experienced a major church split. And I've seen some of those guys break down, you know, in that group as they've shared their story and just sought the comfort and the support of their fellow senior ministers. I had a Queensland colleague, probably the worst example, where a church moved from a downtown area to an outlying, newly developing suburb and they decided to build a name change into the, into the whole process as well. And that man lost 100 of just over 400 members in that move amid some incredible disruption and conflict. We've got a colleague here in New South Wales who lost 40 members overnight because of a a financial uh, problem where it was believed some money had gone in a way that it wasn't supposed to go. And, And then another colleague in Victoria lost 50 members pretty much overnight because of some conflict over worship. Look, I've got to say, one of my proudest achievements, if I can use that word, Pride in the in the best possible sense is I've never had a situation even close to a church split. The nearest I came was in the early eighties when I moved from being in a, a single church, uh, rather a single ministry church. We, we started to engage uh, team members. And the first appointment was an associate minister, and there was a real ruckus in the church because there were people who didn't want didn't want me to be the senior minister, that they wanted a, a, an equal sharing associate where I'd be associate, he'd be associate. And the real thinking was somebody to calm me down. That, that was the real thinking. You know, somebody just to keep an eye on Graham, somebody just to sort of settle him down. He got a lot of ideas. And, and um, I said, look, that's fine, except that the only model of leadership I can work with is where there's a leader. I'll be the associate if I've got belief in the leader, but we need a leader. And uh, the word spread, ooh, big division at Marion Church of Christ. The actual vote was 80-20, which was not bad, but it was 20%, the highest percentage ever I've had dissenting from a a move that I was very keen to make. So, look, I am proud in the best possible sense, and I feel blessed. I feel blessed not to have presided over a really serious conflict in the life of the church. Why? Friends, because I believe passionately in unity. I really believe passionately in unity. I've worked tirelessly to foster it. To, uh, to nurture it and encourage it, to model it. I just believe in unity. I'm convinced 100% that's the way it's meant to be in the body of Christ. And I say that based on the words of Jesus himself. Based on the words of Jesus. You know, when you think about the, the, the size of the New Testament, and it's a, quite a you know, substantial section of the Bible, it's amazing that more of Jesus' prayers aren't recorded word for word. I mean, there are many references where it says Jesus went up to a mountain to pray and he went down here to pray and and he gathered his disciples and they prayed. But very few times are the actual words of Jesus and what he prayed about, very few times are they recorded. Which leads me to conclude that when there are prayers of Jesus recorded word for word, we'd best take careful note. We'd better pay attention to the words he used, what was on his heart, what he really wanted to pray about. And what do we find? Well, in John 17, in what's often known as the great high priestly prayer, Jesus prays extensively for his disciples and for all those who would follow in the centuries ahead. And that includes us. And look what he says in John chapter 17, verse 11. Holy Father, this is for the disciples, keep them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. Now, friends, there's, there's a wealth of meaning in those words from Jesus. But one thing is sure, one thing is sure, one of the earnest desires 
on the heart of Jesus Christ is that there would be unity among his people. And that's not the only reference, as you know. He prayed this on a number of occasions. He knew the strength of unity is incalculable when it comes to the power and the effectiveness of the people of God. But of course, it all depends on what you mean by unity. There are, after all, some fairly weird notions around the place as to as to what unity within the church is really like. Paul makes a, a plea to his Ephesian readers in the, in the reading brought to us earlier by Loretta. Look what he says in, in verse 3. Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. Do your best to preserve the unity. Now, friends, preserving the unity does not mean everyone agreeing with everyone in all things. That may appear to be a picture of unity, but in kingdom work, that's more an indication of apathy, complacency, setting the bar so low so as not to upset anybody. Churches where everybody agrees with everybody else can be comfortable. They can be contented. They can be a little bit exclusivist because they're terrified that somebody may come who might want to shake the place up a little bit. So that's not what it appears on the surface. Uh, You know, I can't recall a time in all my years of ministry when everybody agreed with everything that was going on 100%. I, I can't recall a time when that was the case. There's always somebody who doesn't like a particular song or, or the way we've done a particular, you know, sort of bit of decor or, or the, the, the strength of the coffee or, or something. You know, like you never get 100% agreement. And that's healthy because it means that the church is on the growth edge. It, it means it keeps us on our toes. And we're not being complacent and contented in those ways that I just mentioned. Preserving the unity doesn't mean everybody or everyone agreeing unreservedly with the ministers and the leaders. You can go to churches, and some of you have come from churches, where the word of the pastor and the elders is law. And you don't question that or you don't raise a dissenting voice against those viewpoints or you do so at your peril. Some of you come from churches like that. Now, look, I'll confess I've had it on occasions what some would perhaps call um, papal fantasies, uh, <laughs> where the idea of being able to lord it over people and, and tell them what you're thinking is, is appealing. I don't even get that in my own family. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to try it back in Adelaide, actually. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know how I go. <laughs> but, you know, like... <laughs> I'm aware that that sort of situation can be extremely dangerous. I mean, in, most, in its most severe form, that's the basis of all the world's cults and, and all the world's extremist groups. But that's the sort of blind allegiance, the, the sort of blind allegiance that, that led the sadly misguided minister Jim Jones in November 1978 to take 900 people to Guyana and they all committed suicide because Jim Jones said that it's time to go into the next world. And that would be, in my opinion, the most shocking example of, of this sort of blind allegiance where just the word of the leader is everybody's got to agree. Awful. No, you want people to have the opportunity to express their viewpoint. Of course you do. And that's, in, that's so in a healthy church. And here at Northside, one of the ways we facilitate that is through a very representative eldership. This is one of the ways. And you've seen these guys up on the platform. 
And they range in age from barely 30 up to north of 60 uh, in a couple of cases. I mean, that's a great way to have a leadership where they reflect the viewpoints and where different ones are coming from right across the congregation. Look, friends, presenting the unity does not mean suppressing your opinions and ideas, hoping they'll go away. That's not unity. This is where someone says, I'm not happy, I'm not in agreement, but I'm not going to make a fuss. I'll just push that opinion down. The problem with that is that it generally comes out in ways that we don't expect and at the most inopportune times. Like in marriage, I call that the burnt toast syndrome, where here's a guy, comes down, he's running late for work, and his wife this morning very graciously makes him a piece of toast and it's slightly burnt on one side. And he looks at it and he goes, throws it across the room. He says, burnt toast. You, you, you can't even cook toast. You're, you're hopeless in the, in the kitchen. You're like your mother. You, and, and then he starts talking about something she said weeks ago. And she's going, whoa, that's pretty heavy for burnt toast. <laughs> but like, it's not burnt toast. He's very upset with the way she carried on last night at the, at the office function. She, he feels she embarrassed him with some of the things she said and did. He's not happy with their love life. He's thinking about something she did weeks ago, but he hasn't got the ability to share it. He's pushing it down and it comes out in very inappropriate and in very uh, destructive ways. In a church setting, that can happen sometimes at congregational meetings (laughs) where something's been pressed down. I've been to meetings like this over the years where somebody will get up and start ranting and raving and they'll have questions you go, where, where did this come from? Like, why didn't this person ask a question of me over coffee? Like, we could have sold it in five seconds. Why wait till the big moment when you really let it all go and cause people, you know, it takes weeks, months to recover. In some cases after those kind of events, crazy. Yes, there can be a certain degree of confusion, even total misunderstanding as to what the preservation of unity means. But, but what does unity look like? We've said what it doesn't look like. What are some of the defining characteristics? Friends, I've tried to identify some of the key ones, and here they are. Unity within the body of Christ begins with a God-inspired vision. We keep coming back to that. That's where unity begins, and that's where leadership is so important. This is where the ministry team, in close liaison with the elders and the other key leaders, this is where they form a vision of what's possible. They develop a begin to develop a picture of a preferred future for the church. This has been the history of my ministry. Just always developing a picture of a preferred future. And I begin to talk about that, get people excited regarding the future possibilities for service, for, for mission, for outreach, all those things. And, and then progressively this rollout, this rollout of the vision becomes the DNA, becomes the culture of the church. And essentially... It becomes the the very core of the unity that the church is seeking to experience. A God-inspired vision with Christ at the centre. That's where it starts. And this is what people are being invited to support when they come within a fellowship. This is what they're being invited to to give their, their resources and their giftedness to. But more than the vision, unity within the body of Christ means individual members giving assent to the foundational truths of the gospel. Now, friends, this is the part which ensures that the church is has a Christ-honouring vision and it's not just 
following the personal whims, whims rather, and, and ego desires of the leaders. Here at Northside, we ask new members to publicly state their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. It's a very important part of our induction process. We regularly, we consistently teach and preach the essential truths of the gospel. God, our heavenly Father, creator of all things, Jesus Christ, his son, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again for our sins, who ministers to us today through the power of the Holy Spirit, who one day will return. These are the essential tenets of the Christian faith. And in our reading today, Paul uh, reminds his readers of, the, of some of these basics when he says, verse 3, do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the grace that binds you together. Further down, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as there is one hope to which God has called you, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God and Father of all people who is Lord of all, works through all and is in all. This is Paul saying, look, you've got to get these foundational truths right. That's at the heart of unity. That's the, that's the rallying point for God's people. But friends, here's the thing. Now watch this. Here's the thing. Beyond the foundational truths, which is so important, beyond the foundational truths, we at Northside allow a lot of scope for a variety of viewpoints on all manner of theological and doctrinal points. Would you agree? I mean, we allow for that. We're not looking for sort of cookie-cutter kind of Christians. Once you can give assent to the foundational truths, then there's a lot of scope for various viewpoints on things like gifts of the Spirit, the return of Christ, how God implemented the creation process, just to name a few. Lots of scope. For, for variation in, in, in these areas, depending on your background and your reading and your own personal conviction. That's fine. And this flexibility in terms of belief provides the perfect segue to the next point, namely that unity within the body of Christ involves the creation of a culture where it's okay to express divergent viewpoints, not just in matters of doctrine and theology, but on any topic relating to life within the church. I mean, the ministry team, the elders, I, we are constantly responding to feedback all the time. People giving ideas and reflections and comments, even criticisms. We, we, we're, that's a big part of our, of our work here. And that's a healthy thing. However, however, and it is a big however, within the creation of that open, tolerant culture, two things are crucial. Number one, how we give our feedback, how we make comments. It's got to be in a mature way personal way. We don't want people writing emails to everybody and, you know, that's, that happens. That, that happens, I've experienced that. That's a, that's a terrible way to express viewpoints. But here's the second thing. You've got to weigh up these viewpoints in terms of the extent to which they may, may cut across the vision that God has given to the leadership. That, that's very important. Look, let me, let me give you a bit of a history perspective, historical perspective here. Back in the 80s and even in the early 90s, when the extremes of the Pentecostal movement in this country were, were quite pronounced. And you could go to Pentecostal meetings where they'd be speaking in tongues on mass and, and prophetic utterances being called out and interpreted. And there'd be people getting slayed in the spirit down the front. 
I would have, and by the way, that, that, that whole scene has changed, by the way. You, you, you know that. In, in Pentecostal churches, they've become much more moderate, much more temperate. I had a minister once tell me that the market has changed. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't say that in a critical way, but that was an actual comment made to me by, he said, well, the market's changed. I mean, people don't sort of go for that that much. I thought, I thought, it was, I thought that was spirit-driven. You're saying it's market-driven? Wow. Uh, anyway, be that as it may. I would have people come into my church burnt out by the excesses of the Pentecostal movement, but saying to me, oh, Graham, God hasn't finished this church yet. Man, you've got, you got so far to go in, in your uh, expression of the, of the Holy Spirit and how you interpret. You've got a long way to go. I say, look, you know what? We've come up with this vision in a conscientious and prayerful way. We believe this is where God is moving us. It could be. This is not the church for you. I've had those conversations. Because the equivalent is somebody coming into your home and saying, uh, oh, that painting, are you kidding? Is that, what's that doing there? And this dining room set up, that's got to change before we can sit down. And these lounge chairs, now you've got to move them around quite a bit before I'll feel comfortable here. Like, hang on, whoa, whoa, this, this, this is our home. You're our guest. We've been very comfortable and very effective as a family in this place. You've got to earn the right to speak into that. And even then, if we're really convinced of a certain direction we've been called to do, we may not. So that's, I once had an elder say to me, Graham, you'll find that I vote in a certain way on behalf of a certain group in the church. And I knew the group he was talking about. And I worked out that was about 8% of the congregation. And I had to say to him, mate, you know, you're, you're going to have to expand your horizon. You are on this eldership not to vote for that 8% on behalf of that. You're here to reflect the the attitudes and the viewpoints of a much wider group, primarily you're here to encounter the vision God has given to this church and to support it and look at ways of furthering it. That's what you're here for. Would it surprise you to know that when elders are inducted into our eldership here at Northside, they actually sign what we call an elders' affirmation? Does that surprise anybody? Uh, something we came up with a number of years ago under the chairmanship of Norman Newborn. We worked together on this. And let me just give you one of, the, one of the phrases. One of the things that elders sign off on is this particular clause. We are, Northside is a contemporary church which is making a genuine attempt to connect with modern urban dwellers through our music, through our informal worship style, through our outreach programs and through our training opportunities. And people sign off on that. Now, it's not a legally binding document, but if we get an elder who wants to move that we install a pipe organ and that we, uh, you know, (laughs) sort of get the worship back to where it was in the 50s, then we can just go and say, you know what, that surprised me you would come up with that because you understood at the beginning that we're a contemporary church. We make no apology for that. We are trying to relate to the modern urban dweller in ways that are meaningful and contemporary, and that's reflected in our music. And so, so it's just a little say. I implemented that because I, I, I care for you, the flock. I, I didn't want somebody <laughs> trying to stir things up in a way that was going to cause division. Because there's no need for it. Once God gives you a vision of where you're heading, you, you can bat some things back and do it with, with courtesy, but with firmness. Finally, unity within the body of Christ may mean sacrificing personal preferences in favour of corporate objectives. And friends, I'm using corporate there, not in a business sense. Uh, I'm using it in a, in a, in a sense of togetherness. Yeah, th- these are the objectives that, we've been, that, that have been agreed to by the majority. And I want to pay tribute to you guys here. Like, I could say a lot more about this point. 
I pay tribute to so many of you because this is where you have excelled and also been through a lot of changes over the years. And you, many of you have just sacrificed some personal preferences, not begrudgingly and not negatively, but just realising, you know what, it's a different world and we need to relate, like, like, like it says in that eldership affirmation, we need to relate in a contemporary way. I admire you for that. I really salute you for that. I I know that that's been a a real challenge for numbers of you, and I just love the way you have done that. We could say a lot more. It may mean sacrificing some personal preferences. Your willingness, your ability to do that in a whole range of areas has been magnificent. Friends, in my humble opinion, more importantly, in my ministry experience, The strength of unity in the church of Jesus Christ is incalculable. When there's strength of mission and purpose and people pulling together, it's fantastic. You see, when the body of Christ is united in mission and purpose, people are attracted by the energy, by the vitality, by the focus that's so clearly evident. That's been our experience. People want to get on board. Wow, you guys are doing something here. I want to be part of that. Participation and commitment levels are generally high. People are more inclined to get involved in terms of their gifts and their financial support when they sense that here's a body moving forward in pursuit of specific God-honouring goals and objectives. People want to get on board with that sort of thing. We proved that during the building of this complex as we painted the wider, the bigger picture of what was involved and what this complex would be able to achieve. I have a personal belief that today people are looking for community. Yes, they are. And the church provides that. But I've come to the realisation people are looking more for leadership. You can get community anywhere. But people are looking for leadership. And they want to be a part of something that's bigger than them. A part of something that's, that lifts their horizons and that gives them something really big to buy into. Now look, friends, here's the thing. A strong, united, socially aware, globally aware local church can provide that sort of setting. Really can. We're proving it here. Look at you guys. You're here this morning. You could be 101 other places, but you, you believe in this mission. You want to contribute to what we are achieving for God. And in that setting, amazing things happen. Christ-honouring, life-transforming goals are achieved. And that's what's happening here at Northside. What a privilege. What an exciting, how fulfilling, how exciting is it to be part of a, a body like that? And we could add a lot more points if we had room. In conclusion, I want to borrow a prayer. And you can do this sometimes with Scripture. I want to borrow a prayer word for word. And I want it to be my prayer for you guys in this area of unity. Now, this prayer was written by Paul from Rome. He was in prison. Um, I will be in Adelaide. Uh, not in prison, I hope, okay? I, I, I certainly hope not. Um, but I want to borrow Paul's words because this will be my prayer for Northside Community Church as I, in my moments of uh, sitting down there on the, on the beach at uh, Summerton Park, um, reflecting on my years here and celebrating, I hope and trust, what, what God is doing under the leadership of Sam and the, and the team. This will be my prayer for you guys. It's Philippians and it's chapter 1 and uh, verse 27. Look at this. Now, 
The important thing is that your way of life should be as the gospel of Christ requires so that whether or not I am able to come and see you, won't be able to come too often, (laughs) I will hear that you are standing firm with one common purpose and that with one only, and that with only one desire, you are fighting together or striving together for the faith of the gospel. I will hear you are standing firm with one common purpose and that with only one desire, you are fighting or striving, as other versions say, for the gospel. Wow. That's the future of Northside, guys. That is your future because we have a basis of unity here right now based on some of those things I've said. Preserve that unity at all costs. Things will be different in some areas. But implement these principles to maintain the unity because it is to be treasured next to Jesus above all else. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?